Joining me is the founder of Alpha Omega Advisors, the former chief equity strategist at Cantor Fitzgerald. Peter Cicchini is here with us on the TD Ameritrade Network. Peter, great to have you on the show. Nice to be here, Oliver. Thanks for having me. Peter, I'm looking at your note. The latest one leads with a quote from Aldous Huxley. And usually when you're quoting the author of Brave New World, that's not the start of a bullish note. So walk me through it. Yeah, you know, the narratives that have been crafted around uh, the strength of the of the equity markets, I think, um, don't really match the reality of the situation. And the first thing I point out in the note is that really since mid-2018, many equities, in fact, I would argue most equities have been suffering uh, a bear market. If you look at the Russell 2000, uh, if you look at the New York uh, YSC deposit, um, they are well off uh, their highs from either early or mid-2018. If you look at some important subsectors, including the banks, whether you look at the large banks or the regionals, which are, of course, an important subcomponent of the Russell 2000, rising about 15%, uh, they are well off their highs. And I think in the case of regionals, it's about 40% off their highs. And in the case of the large cap banks, about 20% off their highs. So that's the first piece of it where uh, I think this this idea that it is a brave new world is is uh, is uh, not a well-held belief. Um, and I, I am of the mind that even when you look at things like the S&P 500, if you look at the equal weighted uh, versus the market cap weighted uh, version, uh, the equal weighted version is down about uh, just about 10% uh, because of the outsized performance of large cap technology companies which in my mind um, are frankly uh, somewhat overvalued. And I think the second half of the note simply uh, tried to articulate the fact that we are not necessarily, uh, you know, again, back to the letters, um, uh, in the midst of a V-shaped recovery bounce, whether it be in the real economy or whether it be in, uh, in the markets. So, Peter, the first thing I want to discuss here is that performance dispersion, the true story. I've known you for a while. You're not a perma bear. But what I'll say is I've heard similar types of things throughout this bull rally pre-COVID from the bears who said, oh, you know what? Having 15% of the top five companies representing the S&P, that's already a house of cards. Now it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. So why is this time different? Is it that those big companies that have been driving the market, the mega cap techs, are just that extended from reality? Or are they just the new reality that enable us to live a reasonable life when we're stuck inside Amazon, social media, and all the e-commerce? No, absolutely a, a, a wonderful sort of nuance and distinction to try to draw. Um, I'd say these comp I say first of all, the analogy to the 2000 bubble in technology is not uh, is not correct. It's a very different world today. They're very different kinds of companies. Um, it's a very different backdrop. I think these large cap technology companies have acted actually somewhat countercyclically in a way because mm -hmm. in fact they have benefited from the pandemic. So part of their rally is in fact, justified okay that said their valuations are still overextended so even though the rally may be justified to some extent it has in my view gone too far and because they are so important if we do see this double dip scenario which is unfortunately my base case uh, they too will suffer 
uh, in what I believe to be uh, a, a correlation uh, sell-off um, you know, sometime later this year, especially um, because I don't think we're going to get the fiscal stimulus, which has been so absolutely uh, important to the performance of all stocks. There's a lot of parts in there I want to get into. The first one is the fiscal, Peter. Where do you stand if we do get a second injection? Let's just say it's between one and two trillion dollars uh, before the end of the year. Is that an obvious catalyst for this market to return to highs? Well, I'm not sure it's an obvious catalyst. Uh, so again, I think we're unlikely to get it because of the rancor in D.C. and especially because of uh, the death death of Supreme Court Justice uh, Ginsburg. Um, which, which makes for an even more difficult situation um, uh, in D.C. Um, whether it's one or two trillion dollars, right, the devil is in the details. Where does, that, where does that money go? The biggest problem, in my view, has been that it has been very difficult to get the stimulus to small businesses, to the entrepreneurs who need it most. Uh, obviously, we've seen programs get the money directly to the employees in the service sector that have needed it through the pandemic relief packages, for example, and even the recent executive order has helped that to some extent. But the Main Street lending program, while it has been an important backstop, it still operates through the banks. And when we look at lending standards, if we look at the Fed's own senior uh, loan officer surveys, lending standards are uh, incredibly tight. In fact, they're tighter. Uh, when you look at the percentage of banks that are tightening, uh, they're tighter than they were and for a, a longer period of time, frankly, than they were in, uh, at least in this part of the recession, than they were during the great financial crisis. You've got a chart on this, uh, if we bring it up real quickly. Is this now just a response? It's, it's interesting to see the, the tightness of the banks. This is from the senior loan officer survey. I mean, even with the stimulus, these banks obviously played a role with helping extend those programs, but yet they're still showing up on this chart as being uh, the tightest since the recession in 2008. So what does this imply to you, Peter? Uh, does this mean that there's just not as much money flowing through the system as is purported uh, to be believed from all the stimulus? Does that mean it's getting stuck somewhere? Well, I think, I think you have to think about it in sort of two buckets. You've got the benefit of the um, payroll protection uh, program. You've got the uh, Section 13.3 programs, lending programs that the Fed has undertaken in the form of the lending facilities in both the primary and secondary corporate bond markets. And those have led to very tight spreads and very loose conditions in the public credit markets. So investment grade credit spreads are extremely tight. Um, a lot of the high yield market, the sort of higher rated portions of the high yield market are performing well. Uh, spreads have tightened considerably. The lower rated portions of the high yield market are not getting the same amount of support. Mm. Um, and the loan market, uh, which is really what we're talking about when we look at that chart, uh, it's much more difficult to get that support to the loan market. And to put that into context, uh, the leveraged loan market is you know, well over a trillion dollars now, could be a trillion and a half. Um, and loans outstanding in the United States are probably close to three trillion. So this is a very, very important part of financial liquidity for companies. And it's just simply very hard uh, for the Fed to get that stimulus there um, and, and frankly, for the Treasury as well, right? Because this is no longer a world, and this is a very important point, um, Oliver, I think. 
uh, it, it's no longer a, a, a matter of whether or not the Fed can get the stimulus there. It's a matter of whether or not the Treasury and the Fed working together using fiscal stimulus can get the stimulus there. The Fed, in my view, is really um, between a rock and a hard place. It does not have much policy space left uh, to do more than monetize these massive deficits. Uh, and and that's, that's another issue uh, in and of itself. Uh, you know, we've run $3 trillion in deficits already this year. So, Peter, uh, if there's uh, this uh, basically kind of a pipe within the plumbing that is not getting the stuff through, right? Uh, the Fed can only do so much. Then how do we actually stimulate uh, the economy to pick up? What do you look for as signs that maybe that's improving, worsening? Is it just a survey or is it going to be potentially more targeted stimulus? Is there a way that uh, the government could potentially just directly like helicopter drop in a way that is enough to get the economy going in a sustainable manner? Or is your point here that even if they do a helicopter drop, that's a whole other separate problem then that we have to deal with? Well, to some extent, there's already been uh, a helicopter sure. drop, right? I mean, the, the pandemic relief checks are precisely that. That is a helicopter drop. Um, that is a, uh, a fiscal policy program. Um, certainly, it is possible that the Treasury uh, could decide to uh, directly fund um, companies as well. Uh, I'm not sure how that would work, uh, but that is a possibility. I think it is a remote one. Uh, I do not think that happens because there are all kinds of uh, moral hazard problems, uh, fairness issues, uh, implementation issues with that. Um, uh, but but it, it certainly is possible. And of course, there are payroll tax holidays, which have been suggested by the president and, and, and many other kinds of relief that could be suggested. Um, the problem, frankly, though, Oliver, is that cash flows are not in good shape. Uh, and honestly, this was not just a pandemic problem, right? There was pre-existing fragility well in advance of the pandemic. Earnings for the S&P 500 were flat in 2019. Um, you know, For small caps, they were down 15% in 2019 from 2018. Mm -hmm. For corporate America overall for 19, corporate profits were down about 7%. Um, and lending standards were already tightening into the end of the year with loan volumes actually contracting in December before the pandemic hit. So one of the reasons, unfortunately, why I'm so cautious is because I don't think we had such a solid foundation um, to begin with. And that's one of the things I think that is going to make the recovery somewhat tricky. And by the way, that's exactly why the Fed had to cut at the, tw at the end of 2018 or uh, due to the sell off in the equity markets and the inversion of the yield curve. It's one of the reasons why uh, in early 2019 it started to to cut already. Mm -hmm. One of the uh, probably more consistent bull views I hear, Peter, is that there may be that economic double dip as we uh, continue to work through the problems that you see, but that in the meantime, there is enough market growth and disruption still happening in tech to continue to provide that tech put basically in the market. Do you buy that or is there a valuation story we need to include there that with the Fed on hold is no longer obviously valuation accretive for tech? I mean, what's the role here with Jay Powell going on cruise control? Does that mean we should expect valuations to moderate a little bit? Well, let's, let's talk about that for a moment, right? We, we have um, 
Chair Powell, who says he does not see any kind of an asset bubble. You have um, Dallas Fed President uh, Robert Kaplan saying, well, there is potentially a bubble. That's why he dissented. Um, and, uh, you know, when you look at valuations, um, it's tricky because you have to make assumptions about what forward earnings growth is going to look like, whether it's tech or whether it's the market more broadly. Um, and you can certainly make a case for some of the larger cap tech, tech companies that, you know, at so the S&P, I believe the, the S&P uh, tech component trades at over 30 times earnings. Mm -hmm. And you know, these are no longer companies whose, whose EBITDA and earnings or whose cash flow and earnings is growing at 40 or 50 percent for the most part. These are more mature companies whose cash flows are growing at, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15 percent, which is still good, still clearly uh, justifies a premium multiple. But what it does is it creates a situation where risk reward to these things on a, uh, a another slowdown um, uh, presents itself uh, in, in a sort of an unfavorable way. Uh, so at the end of the day, that's what all of us are looking to do. We're, we're looking to buy assets when risk reward is favorable to their ownership and sell them when it starts to look unfavorable. And I think given the plethora of risks right now, it's probably not all that favorable to own equities generally. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, large cap tech is, is I think, uh, part of that. Mm. So not the savior of the market anymore. Peter, then what do you want to own? How do you put this into work then? Because to your point about correlations earlier, we're running out of time. I know that's a whole can of worms within itself, but we've seen basically that when the NASDAQ goes down, gold goes down, Bitcoin goes down. To me, it looks like basically only the dollar and some of these deep, deep cyclical value plays more kind of connected to global manufacturing are the only things that really work when the NASDAQ is leading us lower. Should we expect that to change and it'll work to own gold or something in a downturn? What looks like it would work to you if this scenario plays out? Yeah, well, gold has had a heck of a run and, and, a, and a pullback that's happened in gold is not surprising to me. I've, I've been a gold bull really since late last year. I continue to like gold longer term for lots of reasons. You know, treasuries uh, are yielding nothing right now. And so gold is an interesting store of dollar value. Uh, so from that perspective, I actually do like gold. I've, I've been a dollar bull for the past month and a half or so. Um, I felt it was at a floor. It's, it's rallied somewhat. My view there is simply that, you know, if, if, if things are, if the Fed is easing, the rest of the world's got to ease even more. So on a relative basis, from a rate, rate differential standpoint, a mm. dollar ownership is going to be just fine. Mm. And then I think what you have to do, Oliver, is you just, you have to look at, uh, at names, name by name, and, and do your homework. And sometimes it's okay to actually take a deep breath and say, you know, I don't want to be long the market, um, but I want to be a little bit pickier about the names that I own, whether they're equities or maybe lower rated credit. Okay. Peter, let's continue the conversation. We've got to go there for now. Great setup for more. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Oliver. Peter Chikini well. is the founder at Alpha Omega Advisors. Really good macro discussion.